Um, all right, so we've been in our sermon series in the book of Proverbs for the last several weeks now. Uh, I got to start it off like three weeks ago, right after the missions conference, discussing pride and humility and how in our pursuit of humility, it requires us to accept that we don't know everything. It requires us to submit to Jesus instead of seeking our own desires. The following week, our friend Josh O'Donnell, he was up here and he was teaching us about how having a strong work ethic flows from knowing who we are in Christ, having our identity rooted in Christ. And then last week, our buddy Johnny Garland was here and he brought clarity to how, our desi- how God designed our roles as parents and he encouraged us in those roles. And if I can be honest with you, even though he uh, lauded over Sophie and I and our parenting abilities, because him and I actually talk about parenting quite a bit, uh, it's probably about a month ago, uh, I felt like an utter failure as a father uh, in my role as a dad because my kids, they repeated something that I had said, taught them in a moment that uh, probably wasn't the best thing for me to teach them. Uh, and it was, they did it at a really inappropriate time. Uh, most of you know that, I mean, you know, like, they just, your kids sometimes, they want to make you look really good. You guys know, uh, most of you know that I grew up a pig-eating pagan, and uh, it wasn't until I went into the foster system uh, at 14 that I really began to be exposed to the Word of God in my life. Uh, but my foster mom, who's here with us today, she'll be here for the next few weeks, she had the great idea to send me to Bible camp when I was like 14 or 15, right after I got into the foster system. And honestly, going to Bible camp, I felt pretty uncomfortable and pretty out of place. So it was probably only natural that once I got there, I made friends with like the bad church kids, which none of your kids are bad. Like, they're pretty good. I got in trouble often at the Bible school because I was in charge of disciplining the students that uh, got in trouble. And I was like, you're 18, you missed curfew by 20 minutes, that's no big deal. Uh, You don't want to know where I was at 18. So you're doing great. And like, you need to be harder on them. I was like, they're doing pretty good. Let's, they they chose to go to Bible school. So uh, it was from these bad kids at Bible uh, camp that I learned this song, and it is forever etched in my brain. (laughs) And it's a very catchy song. And it describes a verse in scripture. It describes Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. And I'll I'll read this to you. Revelation 21, 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and All liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this this isn't a song that we're going to start singing at the beginning of our church services. Uh, This isn't very encouraging. Uh, No. This song, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. 
because it's not super encouraging and I can't sing anyway. Uh, <laughs> this song, in my opinion, it doesn't speak the truth in love. Uh, it, it, what it does is specifically describe just what happens to those who choose to be dishonest and what happens for all of eternity. And it doesn't do so in a very loving manner. And, all right, I'm just going to come clean right now. I'm going to confess to you that as a teenager, I would sing this song often to embarrass my foster mom and my foster dad. Yeah, among a lot of other things. The confession isn't over. Now, uh, I, as an adult, I have had some lapses in judgment. And some of these have unfortunately happened in my role as a parent. A few years ago, while disciplining my kids in the area of honesty and dishonesty, I thought, you know, it would be really funny. I could bring some levity to this moment by singing this song, and I'll put, the, put them all to ease. And I don't have to tell you that I really regret that decision. I, it was not my best of moments. And my kids, they now will, in turn, embarrass me with singing that song like they did a few weeks ago. Dave and Callie invited us over to their house, and upstairs I hear my kids go, hey, Dad! And then they start singing the song, and I was like, guys, there's a story behind it. And, oh, I'm preaching on honesty and dishonesty in a few weeks, so I'll tell you the whole story in a few weeks. And I don't think my kids are ever going to let me forget that I... Uh, in a moment of weakness, taught them this stupid song. And, but I hope that they do learn enough from my mistake that they don't teach it to their own children. Even though the lyrics of this song are true, truth not spoken in love is brutal, and it can be misplaced. Today, we're going to be looking at honesty and dishonesty in a sermon that I'm going to call Honesty engine. All right, we all know that lying is a sin, right? Raise your hand if you know lying is a sin. Cody, keep it up, come on. Lying's a sin. God's word promotes honesty, right? And it discourages dishonesty, right? Yeah? Okay, we all know that. Perfect. Worship team, you can come on up. Hey, good word, pastor. We're done for the day. I accomplished it. I had a good sermon my first week back in the saddle, right? Jake, you didn't have to catch me. No, I'm all joking aside. There are some, there are some tough questions that go along with this topic. And the book of Proverbs, it provides some wise words for the dilemmas that arise in our life surrounding the area of honesty and dishonesty. And today we're just going to scratch the surface of this topic. Uh, scripture has so much to say in this area that we could spend, I could spend weeks, I could spend a whole month preaching on this topic, and I could probably still say, ah, I left this out. Uh, so hopefully what we're going to attempt to accomplish today is build an honest foundation for navigating this topic in your life. See, we live in this society that has pacified truth. 
to the point where lying in this day and age, in this society, it's, it's, it's accepted as the social norm. It's, it's accepted as a social standard that it, you just would assume that people are going to lie to you. I mean, what advertisers uh, that you see anywhere in the world, what advertiser doesn't lie to sell their product? What, the, the politicians in this country, they have lied to garner votes since the beginning of the country, since the start, since the first election. In our justice system, lawyers will intentionally stretch the truth. They will distort the truth, which is just a fancy way to say that they're lying. And they do this so they will get favorable outcomes for their clients. In our culture, even in church culture, lying is often treated as harmless. I mean, even take our, our sermon series title, Asking for a Friend. It's a cultural phrase that many of us have grown up with that is rooted in dishonesty. Like, we're embarrassed to ask a question, so we ask under the guise that we're, it's not for me that I want to know the answer to this, it's for somebody else. It's definitely not my question. That's rooted in dishonesty. Many people in our culture, they live by this ethical guideline that as long as you don't get caught in your lie, it's, it's okay. And then even if you do get caught in your lie, you just deny, deny, deny. And even some are of the opinion that a little lie, it's, it's not a big deal. Like, it didn't hurt anyone. Many of us have become so accustomed to lying that we don't even give it a second thought. It's this, such this social norm that maybe you don't even know you're doing it. But our God, he sees things a bit differently. The Lord has actually called us and created us to be people of integrity, to be the model of the virtue of honesty. We are to be messengers of his truth, that, that's the kind of person that God delights in, according to Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. It says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. If you are faithful with the truth that you hold, the Lord delights in you. The world's standard for truth it's not a delight to the Lord. We've learned to use certain phrases, certain euphemisms to cover our tracks. We've, we've come up with categories for our lies. We, that, that way we can say, oh, well, this is permissible. We call them little white lies. We say, well, that was just a fib or an embellishment. No, I was just exaggerating. Well, in our Western world, like that's, that's kind of a thing of the past even, right? Like we don't even use those anymore because now truth is just relative. You hear things said all the time like, oh, hey, you just live your truth. You do what's true to you. Church, when we, when we propagate 
A position like that, when we, when we are permissible to, hey, you live your truth, we are enforcing a dishonest view of reality. Standing in the face of all these lies, all of our excuses, all of our misconceptions and distorted, uh, distorted truth is God's word. So when Moses ascended Mount Sinai to meet with the creator of the universe, after the Israelites left Egypt, God gave a set of 10 commandments to Moses. And the ninth of which says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is a commandment against lying. And it's based on the sanctity of truth. And today... Everyone's asking, is there truth? Is there any truth left? Is there any real absolutes? Is, is anybody still being honest? As disciples of Jesus, we are called to be, and we can be honest people. We can be people of integrity. We can and we should speak the truth, and we should do that in love. We don't have to succumb to the temptation to take this command lightly. See, the lie is that if you're dishonest, it'll save you some time. If you tell this little white lie, it's going to be much more convenient for you. It'll be a lot more convenient to just be deceptive in this interaction with your spouse than if you revealed the truth. You know, the truth is just going to slow you down from getting where you want to be. Like, to, to give somebody the truth, that you might have to just take too much of your time to explain to them the whole situation. If you lie, you'll just get where you need to be a whole lot quicker. This little lie, it's not going to hurt anybody. At least we don't think it will, after all. Because everybody lies sometimes, right? But the reality is, the truth is, in the long term, the lies that we espouse will hinder us from progression. The lies are not shortcuts. The lies are roadblocks. These lies will ultimately deter you from the path that God has called and created you to be on. And even if you find the path back of repentance. You may find that you've been rerouted much longer than if you would have just told the truth from the beginning. Dishonesty has rooted itself in the culture that we live in. So today, we want to take an honest look at dishonesty. And we're going to try and discover how we can walk in victory over the temptation that there is to be dishonest. And we'll do that by going over three objectives to combating dishonesty. The first one is that we want to observe. Observe what does scripture say about honesty and dishonesty. As we've already looked at um, in Exodus, not bearing a false witness, it's the ninth of the 10 commandments that, that Moses brought back with him 
from his encounter with God on Mount Sinai. Bearing a false witness. Spreading a dishonest report. It's later in Exodus, it's associated with aligning yourself with the wicked. In the Psalms, David describes that those who bear false witness are people who are willing to do violence to others. He writes about this in Psalm 27, verse 12. He says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Lies are violent. Proverbs tells us that bearing a false witness is to sow discord among brothers. And when all of that is boiled down, what you're left with at the core of bearing bearing false witness is simply just lying. Someone who bears a false witness is dishonest. To bear a false witness is to lie. An honest person, they tend toward making trustworthy, accurate statements about life, about themselves, about others, and most importantly, about the Lord himself. An honest person will represent themselves just as they are. And they will tell others the truth about themselves. Honesty is not uh, expressing every single thing that goes through your mind, though, either. To express everything that you're thinking, uh, to express everything that you believe to be true, that's called being transparent. And you can be honest without at all times being transparent. Sometimes it is very important to be transparent. But sometimes it's actually unwise to always be transparent. For instance, we don't tell our kids all truth at all times. We should recognize there are some things at their current ages they might not be mature enough to handle. And giving them that truth before they are mature enough to handle it, it could actually be very damaging to them. But as we guide them toward their maturity, likewise, as the Lord guides us in our maturity, more truth is revealed to us. We reveal truth as those in our care grow in their maturity, as they grow in their ability to handle truth. And we don't lie about things, but we have to judge if some truth is appropriate to reveal at certain times, which maybe the wheels are spinning. Maybe you've had enough coffee this morning, you're thinking right now, like, isn't that just concealing things? And isn't concealment, isn't that just a form of deception? And deception is dishonest. Make no mistake about that. But, but I do believe that not all concealment is deception. Some concealment may actually be wisdom. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says that 
It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search them out. See, the God that we serve, the one true God of the universe, there's no deceit in him. There's no shadow. There's no wicked way in him. So if it is a glory to God to conceal something, then not all concealment is dishonesty. Not all concealment can be a lie. But sometimes we run into situations where it can be very tempting to lie. Maybe misrepresent ourselves, downplay some uncomfortable truth about our life or about a situation that we're going through so we can avoid conflict. Dishonesty is not good for our life. It's never good for our relationships. Speaking dishonest words so that we can avoid conflict, it's just a form of false flattery to others or to ourselves. And that means sometimes it might hurt people's feelings to give them the truth. Hurting someone's feelings with the truth may be inevitable at times. But there is wisdom to be found in those moments. You think of Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A friend is willing to wound you with the truth. Sweet words, if they're, if they're lies, they are enemies to our very soul. But we have to keep in mind that honesty should be accompanied with gentleness. An honest person is motivated by love, not by an obsession with relaying accurate information all the time. See, my kids, they... They're still learning this sometimes. My kids like to point out to me that on my neck right here, I have this really large mole. You can probably see it back there, can't you, in the back row? And they, in no uncertain terms, at certain times, they want me to be assured that I know the truth about this big, ugly mole on my neck. They're like, Dad, that thing looks like a big, fat booger. Every couple of months, we have to have this conversation. We have to talk. I'm like, guys, just because something is true, it doesn't mean that you have to say it. Like, it, that doesn't really hurt my feelings too much. I've, I've gotten over it. I've cried enough. But sometimes you could say something that's true that's just not necessary to say at any time, ever. And it's not wrong to, to uh, keep your mouth shut. And even as Christian adults, this is a lesson that we sometimes forget. See, Paul, he understood, he understood this lesson, I think. And I think it was an underlying reason why he reminded the Philippian church in, uh, in chapter 4, verse 8, to, the, to his letter to him, he wrote, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is 
any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So before you tell someone the truth about something, you should think about it. And you should think, you should ask yourself, you know, is this, is this truth that I want to tell this person? Is it honorable? Is this, is this pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is this, is this thing that I want to tell you, is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? We like to think sometimes that just because something is true, it needs to be said. But there's an appropriate time, an appropriate place for most of our conversations. And honest people, they're going to seek discernment. And they're going to speak the truth in love so that they avoid becoming what Paul would describe as a noisy gong show of a person. See, speaking the truth and doing it in love is a mark of healthy human interaction. A person who knows the truth but says something different, they're a liar. Like We don't have to come up with some euphemism to, to sugarcoat that, right? If you speak something that is not true, you are a liar. And I think it's better that we just say it plainly like it is instead of trying to sugarcoat it and make it, well, you're not really a liar. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was a little white lie. No, it's a lie. And it's wrong. Scripture emphatically points to the importance of making true statements, especially when it comes to the Lord. To purposely misrepresent God, that's a serious offense. Proverbs 20, 25 verse 18 tells us that a man who bears false, false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Lies are harmful. Lies hurt. They destroy our relationships. Our second objective to combating dishonesty is own. We have to own the dysfunction that dishonesty has caused in our relationships. When we are dishonest, it's based on the fact that in that moment of dishonesty, in that moment where a lie passes between your teeth, you are believing that dishonesty will be the most beneficial thing to you in that moment. And lying breaks trust. Lying ruins relationships. When you lie, you damage your relationships, even if the person is unaware and never knows that you lied. Because you know something is off. You know something is broken in that relationship between the two of you. And if your lying becomes a pattern, it will be found out. And then it's on the person that you've lied to to be in the uncomfortable position of deciding whether they can trust you or not. Because now everything you say, now they have to fact check you. Your word no longer has value to them. Your reputation, at least with that person, has been damaged. It may be even destroyed. And yes, over time, trust can be rebuilt through repentance and a consistent obedience to truth. But this process is painful. And it could result in a situation where the trust that is placed in you is never fully restored. 
honesty and dishonesty, they have an immense impact on our relationships. Honesty will refine a relationship, but dishonesty will destroy them. Honesty can nurture and help a relationship to grow, but it is to show neglect to a relationship to be dishonest. Years ago, I took a group of students on a missions trip uh, when I was working at ABI. On the first morning of this trip, I was making breakfast for the students, and my plan was to make bacon and eggs. And unfortunately for me, uh, we didn't have access to any good coffee. I, I had bought good coffee, but this place, uh, it was too late before I found out that they didn't have a coffee pot. Um, and we woke up late, so I didn't have time to even cook the bacon, which is a travesty unto itself. And I, in this kitchen that I was operating in, I felt like I kind of had to walk on eggshells, uh, pun intended. Uh, so I began cracking the eggs, whipping them up, and uh, you know, making scrambled eggs before we hit the road. And I realized, oh, we don't have any milk. I like to add some milk to the eggs to fluff them up a bit. And so I'm looking in this fridge, and I find this like vanilla cream concoction. And I was like, oh, this will work. And I dump it in there, uh, whip it up. I'm like, this is going to be a good substitute. And uh, I, I, I get the eggs made. I serve the students. And, and I finally, I sit down to, so that I can eat as well. And I take a big old bite of the eggs and promptly just, and just spewed it all over the table. I was like, I looked at the students. I was like, guys, this is disgusting. What are you doing? It was the grossest thing I'd ever eaten in my life. And... I've traveled internationally with Mike Sloan, so that's saying a lot. <laughs> that vanilla cream concoction that I had found was not a good substitute. And I looked at the students that I was like, that were politely trying to choke down these nasty eggs. And I was like, guys, why are you lying to me? Like, that's, I, it's like, what the heck? I, you should have told me that this was garbage and you should have not tried to eat this. Like, I regularly, uh, I regularly cooked breakfast at, when I was uh, working down at the Bible school in Homer, and it was something that the students would actually look forward to because it wasn't disgusting like this was. I was like, guys, don't eat this garbage just to spare my feelings. Like, if it isn't good, I want to know. I want to take care of you, not kill you. <laughs> now, this is, this is a good, this is a funny story. And fortunately, like, it didn't ruin any relationships, I don't think. Uh, they, <laughs> when I see them, they do like to remind me that the food was disgusting. Uh, I'm like, it, come on, can we talk about the good things that I've made instead of just always this bad thing? But it's like, it's little seemingly innocent lies like this that they can make a bigger impact and they can fracture, if not outright ruin, relationships. When the, when the deceit's brought to light, it can be damaging. I, I didn't tell those, I had to tell the students in that moment, like, hey, you guys, I need to depend on you to be honest with me. Like, if I can't depend on you to be honest with me about something, like, as small and insignificant as 
uh, nasty eggs. How can I depend on you to be honest when it comes to things that are really important? Our third objective to combating dishonesty is overcome. We have to go to the cross and seek repentance. We have to seek restoration. You can't expect to overcome the sin of lying all on your own. James chapter 3 verse 4 tells us, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Even the littlest sin in our estimation can have a much greater impact. It can have a much greater control over us than what meets the eye. Because the the enemy wants you to be deceived. He wants you to think that that was just a little thing. He wants you to believe that you can control the amount of sin that you play with in your life. But the truth is, that little sin can hold you into bondage. You can't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to stop lying or I'm going to stop this little sin that I've gotten in the habit of doing. It's not something over a long period of time that you can live out in your own strength. You may have success for a short period, but in your own strength, you will not have success. You have to begin with repentance. You have to repent of the sin that you've been ensnared to. You repent to the Lord Jesus and align yourself with truth. The truth is you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to surrender your life to the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have access to the power to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you of your dishonesty. You have to let his peace guard your heart. You have to then find yourself in community. You have to have others around you who you can trust that are going to build you up, who are going to speak life into you and hold you accountable. You have to have others around you who are going to tell you the truth in love. And don't let the enemy separate you from a community of believers. And then you find yourself in his word. Find, him, find yourself in his word often so that it prompts your actions, so that your thoughts can be shaped by God's word, so that his word is daily leading you. So your decisions, your actions, your thought life, it's shaped and influenced by the word of God so that that God's word is active and fresh in your mind. Not only do you need to hang tight to the word of God and impress it upon your heart, but it's also important to model yourself after David's prayer life. David, in Psalm 139, he prays this. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. That should often be our prayer. Lord, search me. Try me. Know me. 
Keep asking the Lord for help. Keep asking the Lord to search you out. You can't overcome sin all on your own. And if you fall, if you're in the process of walking this out, if you're in the process of walking the road of repentance, if you fall, you don't stay there. You don't wallow in your sin and you can't punish yourself. The punishment was already taken on the cross. You don't get to punish yourself for your sin. Proverbs 24, 16 tells us, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We will fall. What makes us righteous is we get back up. We keep our eyes on the cross. We go back to the cross time and again. We let the Lord clean us. And we move forward in victory. This is imperative that we overcome the temptation that we have to be dishonest in, in our lives. Dishonesty is so embedded in this culture, right? even in the church, even in the, the marriage advice that we give to men. There's, a, there's an old saying that I'm sure when I say it, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. And probably half the, half the people in this room will disagree with me that this isn't good marriage advice. But it's not because it infers dishonesty. We've all heard the saying, happy wife, happy life. That saying infers dishonesty. Like, oh, just let her win the argument. Truth is irrelevant when you are in a marital dispute. Because, ladies, don't you just love being placated like a petulant child? Doesn't that make you happy? When your husband just says, yep, sure, whatever you want, honey, and moves on to the next thing. No, the loving thing to do is figure it out. The loving thing to do is work through the dispute. The most important thing is to understand how to work through disagreements. It's dishonest to be apathetic towards a disagreement. We have to do the hard work to communicate. Sometimes communication is hard. Sometimes it's really difficult. Communication takes work, takes effort, takes being gracious towards one another. For both people. You have to do the hard work of having the conversation so you can get things sorted out. And you have to keep at the forefront of your mind that this is actually someone I love, someone I care about, someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. They're not actually against me. They're for me, hopefully. Uh, Take that into the conversation with you. Let that be the focal point of your conversation. Like, no, we love each other and we're going to figure this out. We're on the same team. This will help you keep your tone and your language under control. Then you're able to start the conversation. And then when you're having that conversation, you got to stick to the facts. Because your perspective and how you feel about the disagreement... 
though those things do matter, though they're not irrelevant, but the facts of the situation are what tell the true story. The facts of the situation are what we can be held accountable to. And you have to remember it's a conversation, it's not a fight. A fight's something that we're trying to win. A conversation's something that brings resolution. It's not a competition. You're working to restore the relationship that you have. And guys, if none of that works, she's still mad at you, just go through the pantry and tighten all of the lids on the jars because she can't come to you and ask for help when she's mad. <laughs> Oftentimes, we suppress the truth. We lie. And we do it in an effort to keep peace. Like that's, that's oftentimes, oh, if I just say this, it'll keep the peace right now. Or no, if I say this, it'll make this person feel good. But dishonesty doesn't project us into freedom in our relationships. Dishonesty builds roadblocks in our relationship. Being honest may be a cause for a hard conversation. Being honest sometimes requires a lot of effort on our part. Jesus told us that knowing the truth will make us free. Honesty spoken in love will drive our relationships into freedom. Honesty spoken in love will drive our relationships into freedom. It isn't always easy to know. It's not always easy to know, like, in this situation, in this relationship, this is the appropriate amount of truth that needs to be shared in this instant right now. But we have to figure it out. We're called to be honest. We are warned against being dishonest. Can you imagine if you just entered every relationship, every situation in your life, and you found your, uh, yourself just knowing like, in every instance, this is the appropriate amount of truth for me to share with this person right here and right now. Because there is an appropriate amount of truth that needs to be shared in all relationships. Proverbs 25, 11 tells us, a word fitly spoken, it's like apples of gold and settings of silver. Sometimes a word needs to be said, and there's an appropriate, apt time for it. One of my favorite stories from church history, it's about this man named John Harper. J John Harper, was, uh, he was a widow, widower, and him and his daughter, they were sailing from England to America so that John could speak at D.L. Moody's church in Chicago. And unfortunately for John Harper and his daughter, they were sailing aboard the Titanic. When the ship struck the iceberg and the passengers uh, finally, after uh, several hours, realized that the greatest ship ever constructed by that point in, by human hands was inevitably going to sink, John Harper, he took his daughter and he put her on a lifeboat and kissed her forehead. He hugged her and he told her he loved her knowing that she was very soon going to be an orphan. Once his daughter was a safe distance from the ship and he couldn't see her anymore, 
Harper began scouring the deck of the Titanic, preaching to anyone who would listen to him the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified. As Harper was preaching the gospel aboard the deck of the Titanic as it was sinking, a man scoffed at him, told him that he was espousing uh, fairy tales, and Harper shoved his own life jacket into this man's hands and said, here, you are going to need this much more than I will. Because Harper knew what was coming. Once immersed in the icy waters, John Harper swam around to every person he could, giving them one last chance to put their faith in the name of Jesus until he succumbed to his own icy death. In the last few hours of John Harper's life, he understood the appropriate amount of truth that every person in his proximity needed to hear. As we examine our own lives this morning, as we ask the Lord to search our hearts and to know us, ask yourself, are you sharing the truth that is appropriate for the moment? Do you need to repent of dishonesty today? Do you need to seek to restore relationships that have been broken by lies? During this last song, if you need to be held up in prayer, we have folks that are going to be back by the cross and they are here. They specifically want to pray with you this morning. But you can turn right where you are to your neighbor, to your friend. You can walk over to somebody that you know, that you trust, and they will lift you up in prayer as well. If you've been broken by dishonesty, if you've believed lies that have been spoken over you, take the opportunity this morning to seek restoration. Have your relationships restored. There is no shadow. There's no turning in our God. His compassion, it doesn't fail. And this morning, like every morning, his mercies are new. And they are available for you to take hold of. He will provide for you all that you need. So let's stand together. Let's honestly pursue him together this morning and find rest for our weary souls in his great faithfulness.